That song we just sang, I've been listening to it for about the last two months. I listened to it this morning while I was getting ready for church again. Listened to it last night. And uh, I asked Nick if the worship team could do it today. I just felt like that's what God wanted. And um, the last line in that song, my life, my life to Jesus, I surrender all. Uh, let's see if there's a white flag coming up here. It's coming. They're, they're raising it. Yes or no? Yep. Hop, hop, hop. There it is. What's a white flag symbolize? It symbolizes surrender, right? Uh, for all of you veterans this morning, men and women that served our country, we're grateful for your service. And as American soldiers, we don't want to surrender, do we? No. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to surrender to the commander-in-chief of our lives. That's Jesus. We surrender to him. And maybe you're not, maybe you haven't done that yet. And I want to encourage you to raise the flag this morning before you leave this building, before you turn off your TV, that you surrender to him. Man, there's nothing like it. Will you let him live in and through you? The reason um, the white flag, um, some of you may have known that Debbie and I uh, were at the Grand Canyon last week um, with Jay Sigert. You know, Jay, we, he comes here, he speaks about creation, biblical creation, etc. The church supports that ministry. Uh, Steve and Nancy Gordon, another couple from the church, were there. And uh, let's take a look at the Grand Canyon. It's already there. <laughs> I don't know, man. God made that. He made it. And going back to the flag and looking at the Grand Canyon, when you see the, just the splendor of God's creation, His handiwork. It's breathtaking. It really is. I mean, you don't have to go to the Grand Canyon to have your breath taken away. You can go out at night, look at the stars. You can get up in the morning and watch the sun come up, man. That'll take your breath away. Right? And um, so for all those of you maybe pushing back on what I've just talked about, uh, listen to what Isaiah 45 has to say. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says. Now, um, I, I read something from Pastor David Jeremiah recently, and he was just talking about how deception is running rampant throughout our culture. We're being lied to in so many different ways. But I can tell you this, God never lies. He is the truth speaker. He speaks the truth consistently. He is a God. His character is perfect, and he cannot lie. Yeah. 
This is what the Lord says. So when he says something, you know it's true. Hopefully. Right? Hopefully you believe, yeah, man, I'm good with that. The Holy One of Israel and your Creator, do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? Now here it is. I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. And with my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. Now, friends, that should settle it right there. Right? I mean, if, if God cannot lie, when you read this, he says, this is what God is saying. He is saying, I am the great creator. I created everything and I created you, me, in his image. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. That, that should be enough to say, I'm putting up the white flag. Huh? No more pushback for me, man. God, you said it, and I believe it. I'm all in. I'm all in. Can I just tell you a little secret how liberating that is? Because think about the stress people carry if they think they came out of a swamp. Huh? Oh, yeah, man. You don't get excited about coming out of a swamp. You could get excited with you were knitted together by the hands of Almighty God in your mother's womb. That's what gets you fired up. And so... Again, if you're pushing back, if you're, there's some resistance there, no problem. I just encourage you to do the research. Because the theory of evolution is a theory. And it's never been proven. They teach it as pr- proof in the schools, but it is a theory. And it takes more faith to believe evolution than it does creation. When you do your research, do your homework. Friends, you good with that? Yeah. And, um, and so that was just, you know, going to the Grand Canyon, it was, it was grand. It was grand. Okay, you should have your outline nearby. Those of you watching online, pull it up on the church webpage. And, and um, Facebook page. We're going to go back in time. The calendar November 2007 is coming up just to refresh your memory what that looked like. Look familiar? Mm. Alan Ryden, uh, he was a tough Alaskan fisherman, decided to take a month-long trip out at sea in his 42-foot boat. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a long time to be out at sea. A month? Well, guess what? The trip turned into a nightmare when the boat capsized in a terrible storm. Ryden managed to get into his life raft and wearing a survival suit, and he got off a mayday signal to the Coast Guard before the boat went under. 
And that weather was brutal when he was in that little life raft getting tossed around. You can imagine, right? <laughs> if any of you have been out in the water with a storm, man, it's not fun. It's not fun. And so he was shivering, being buffeted. And, and as time went on, Alan was starting to lose hope, man. He said, I don't know if I'm going to make it. His mind started to panic. His body began to shake. And he started to sink into deep discouragement and hopelessness. Started wondering if his life insurance would be enough to provide for his family. And suddenly Alan realized that his own thoughts were pulling him under more than the seas were. And he made one of the toughest decisions of his life in that life raft. He chose to throw out any kind of thinking that was discouraged their hopelessness out of the raft. He said, I'm not going to let that stuff sink, sit around with me. And he began quoting Bible verses. He didn't just quote them, but he began to speak them out loud. He started thanking God for every good thing that came to his mind in that life raft. Isn't that amazing? And he said to himself, at least I am in a survival suit. I'm thankful. I have a strobe light on this life raft. I'm thankful. At least I'm in a life raft. I'm thankful. Plus, I'm a strong swimmer and I'm not afraid of water. I'm thankful. And encouraged him. So, Ryden's mental struggle deepened, though, as darkness began to set in and he re remained committed to hanging on with all of his strength to the anchor that he had in God. He later said, there was definitely a grace from God that I experienced in that raft. I had to fight for every inch of my thoughts with the Lord's help. Ten hours later, Ryden was rescued, and his story was told in the book, Unshakable Faith. And in the book, they said of Ryden, the real rescue was inward. It had been achieved during the storm when, by God's grace, Ryden had anchored himself in God and thoughts of God, which helped him stay buoyant. And friend, today, I don't know if you're in a storm right now. Your security has sunk and you're in a life raft and you're getting beaten and battered and you're holding on. By your fingernails. Jesus Christ is here today to give you some encouragement and some hope through his word. Aren't you glad for his word? Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse um, 10. Paul, under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Listen to how he starts this paragraph. How I praise the Lord. He's chained to a Roman guard and he's chained to a man. He's not going anywhere. How I praise 
just like Alan Ryden in the storm in Alaska. He took his eyes off his circumstances and put them on God. Paul was doing that very same thing, friend. And that's the, that's the starting point. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. He's writing to the church at Philippi. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I ever was in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And thank you for that, Lord. Those words to challenge us, those words to encourage us today. As you know what each one of us is experiencing and going through right now. Pour your grace into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, Alan Ryden, you, me, we all have to learn what our core values are. And we need to stay buoyant in the midst of a world that's sinking fast. And we need to stay on top. That's where Paul is. And we see that Paul recognizes, you know, where he's at, what's going on, sits in a, under house arrest because of some corrupt officials. He's awaiting, he's waiting to find out if he's going to live or die at the hand of Nero in Rome, not knowing what his future holds. And yet when we see him writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he is not tanking emotionally, but instead he's, he's acknowledging his appreciation to the church 800 miles away. The church that he planted 10 years earlier. And he's fired up over it. He's fired up over it. And so um, that's a good word of encouragement for all of us this morning. And as we look at Paul's life in the context of where he was when he wrote this letter, we can apply that to where we're at today, uh, September, the tail end of 2022, never coming back again. It's going to go into history books. Let's let God have his way to make a difference for all eternity as we spend these moments together. Number one, live to celebrate. Verse 10, Paul how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. I praise the Lord. That word is Cairo in, in the Greek, and it means to rejoice exceedingly, be joyful, be full of joy. Paul is saying, I am rejoicing in the Lord for you. That's where the foundation is, that we... We praise the Lord. We celebrate. That's why it's good coming to church on Sundays, man. Right? We rejoice with joy of God's presence and his activity in our lives. We celebrate that. Man, we have a, somebody's got a birthday today in the world. <laughs> and I hope they celebrate with ice cream cake. Right? Right? Ice cream cake. 
baby. Ice cream cake. Celebrate. Why? Because God made you. Your birth. You celebrate that. Paul is celebrating the fact that even though he's under house arrest, he's heard reports that the church back at Philippi, they're going to keep supporting him. Spirit, soul, and body. And so, so he's fired up over that. Why? Because he's, he's realizing that God is working. Even though he's 800 miles away, the word on the street is that the church at Philippi has heard of his situation and they're going to send help, a care package or whatever the case may be. Whatever Paul needs, it's coming. It's on the way. UPS, man. UPS. It's on the way. So, Paul is saying that the Lord is his source of joy, not his circumstances. Hmm? Because if he got locked in to where he was and what was going on around him, because even the church in Rome at that time were undermining his credibility as a man of God, he could have said, man, God, this isn't fair. You know, I faithfully served you. And yet he takes his eyes off of those present circumstances and he puts them on God and realizes that God is working even behind the scenes. 800 miles away, God is working. God is working in the world right here, right now. All around the world. He's active. And we need to get fired up like Paul was. (laughs) Oh, I praise the Lord. Oh, man, God, Paul knows God's working in them. Um, uh, And because he helped plant that church, he was excited about it. So um, let's take a look at the map here. Uh, I forgot my pointer, but Philippi is in the middle. You see it up there, the middle on top? Um, that's That's a real map, by the way. This actually happened. This is historical. That's where Paul planted the church, and Paul is all the way to the left up high on Rome. And um, um, Thessalonica, that's another church he planted to the left of Philippi. So um, he was very active, but now he's, he's under house arrest, and nothing, it seems like nothing's going on. He's used to planting churches. He's used to traveling the known world of that day. And yet we see he digs deep to lift the joy in his core. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Even though Nehemiah wrote that. Paul used it. And so news... um, Listen, Paul's 800 miles away. He was traveling. He was caught in storms. He was shipwrecked. You know, he, he had a run for his life. They didn't have cell phones back then. I know you think they, you know, all the, all the young people today probably think the cell phone was always around. This, this is a no phone zone, man. Pre-phones, you know. No Facebook, no email, no texting going on. So they lost track of where Paul was, and that's where they had supported him when he first had planted the church and he was traveling. 
planting churches, and then they kind of lost track of where he was in the world. And then they found out again where he was. Word got out, came back to Philippi, and word came back to Paul that they were going to get back on it. So he says, I'm so happy. I'm so joyful. I am so excited that the Lord has brought it to you that you're concerned about me again. And he said, but you didn't have the chance to help me. That's when they lost track of him. But he comes up for air again, and they're waiting to show support once again. So Paul is encouraging. He's affirming the church at Philippi, by the way, to uh, thank you for being faithful in, in your support to this ministry. And that's where even as followers of Christ here, it is good that we affirm one another, right? Isn't that right? Like when we come in and we see each other, man, it's so good to see you, right? It's so happy to be here with you. And as men, we hit each other in the chest. That's a love language here at Life Church. Boom, you know, boom. <laughs> yeah, man, we're happy to be together because God is here and this is a prelude to what heaven's going to be like. And so uh, Proverbs twelve twenty five: worry weighs a person down and encouraging word cheers a person up. There's a lot of people that need to be cheered up and that's why we can encourage each other. And um, Hebrews ten twenty four: let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate one another. Let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Is it, is it drawing near? Yeah. Absolutely. It's closer today than it was last Sunday. And so we need to, we need to affirm. Spencer Johnson wrote a book called The One-Minute Father. In it he wrote, Instead of walking around the house trying to catch your children doing bad things, walk around trying to catch them doing good things. And when they do something good, tell them you appreciate it and you're glad for it. Tell them often, praise them often, encourage them often. Right? So that's a, that's a, a word of encouragement to parents. Um, and um, just coming off that, a way to encourage your children, by the way, is to bring them to church. You don't think so? You disagree with that? No, 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 no. Uh, Spencer Johnson, so he's saying you, you look for things, and here's another thing as a parent you can do. Um, Cameron Cole wrote this just last week. Parents just go to church. As a Fortune 500 corporation, many interests and demands consume the company's time and resources. How does an executive choose what opportunities to prioritize? The same is true for Christian parents. Tremendous resources exist for discipling kids, devotionals, and guides for family worship. Parents are paralyzed when confronted with all the good options. Where do we start? Well, Cameron gives us some counsel here. He says, hear me when I say this, start by going to church. Yes, I encourage you to pray with your kids, read the Bible as a family, attempt to have family worship, these are all excellent disciplines, but if you can only choose one discipline, go to church. 
Make attending corporate worship the top priority of your family. There's nothing more positive you can do for your children than to attend a corporate worship at your church every week. A parent in our church once made a statement that caught me off guard. They said, corporate worship is crucial to my family. It's the center of our family's life. This dad's mentality is consistent with how Scripture prioritizes corporate worship. God is the center of our lives. In corporate worship, we make this clear. We receive God's grace through word and prayer. We respond to God's grace with praise like we've already done already. Aren't you glad for that? Thanksgiving, we have given thanks to God and love. We fellowship with him under his word and by his grace. We serve, worship, and flourish out of that communion. In these ways, corporate worship is the whole Christian life in distilled and concentrated form. God commands his people to meet for worship weekly. It's not optional or a matter of preference, and this is God's mercy towards us. God knows how badly we need the benefits of meeting together. God doesn't need our worship. We, on the other hand, desperately need corporate worship to center and order our lives around the Lord. Isn't that true? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. He said, man, when I was a kid, we went to church every single week, even on vacation. I often complained about it. <laughs> Some of you complained about it when you were kids, too. I asked my father, why can't we take a week off? (laughs) My old school dad would always reply the same, son, God gives us seven days a week. We can sacrifice one morning for him. My dad's maxim and our consistent church attendance made a major impression on me. When I left for college, this pattern was deeply embedded in my life. I was usually the only person on my hall who attended church on Sunday, but I'd get up and go. My family's commitment to Sunday worship communicated major truths to me. God is the center of life. God is worthy of praise and worship. The Christian life requires sacrifice and discipline. My father modeled the Christian life well, largely through his unflinching commitment to go to church every Sunday. If you feel inadequate to lead your kids spiritually, just go to church. If strategizing about your Christian parenting feels overcomplicated, just go to church. If you've been taking a few too many Sundays off, just go to church. If all this seems overwhelmingly difficult, ask God to give you the grace to have this consistent discipline in your family's life. Faithful church attendance can have an eternal influence on your kids. Man, I like that. I... I, that this dude sounded like my dad, because that's the way we were growing up, man. As 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 a as a dad, my dad was. We always go to church. Nothing takes the place of church. And as a parent, you can encourage your children to get into that rhythm of life, of being in God's house consistently, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 And so we encourage our children by modeling that in front of them. And um, um, number two, and we're not going to get all through number two, but verse 11, Paul says, um, I'm 
live to learn. So we live to celebrate. Going back to live to celebrate, love God, love people, love life. We love life by celebrating what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of other people. That's how you love life. You live to learn, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. How can Paul be content when he's chained to a Roman guard? Do you ever think about that? How can he know joy while being isolated in under house arrest? How can, how can it be? There's two key words here in this verse that you want to circle. One, learned and content. Learned and content. The verb learned means learned by experience. In other words, you weren't born with the gift of being contented. True or false? All you have to do is watch a baby. You know? And that goes on. And they, they graduate to the next stage. Mine. 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 <laughs> See? That's, that's what happens. We learn by experience. We learn by use and practice. And Paul didn't learn to be content going to the, to the school of Pharisees, by the way, a very religious lifestyle and training. No, he, went, he learned the secret of being contented by going through the challenges in life. And um, I remember when I was learning how to ride a bicycle and... Um, this bike was not the kind of bike I had. If you look at this bike, not, go to the back to that one, the first one, yeah. You see little springs in the seat and springs on the front? That's fancy, man. I've got my violin out right now. I do not have a bike like that. That's, the next one is my bike. That, so my dad didn't believe in training wheels nor termite-sized bikes for training. He, he, he waited until he could torture me. And he bought that size bike and put me on it and said, good luck. And I was on the ground more that first week. I mean, I, I totally destroyed the bike the first week, you know, crashing into curbs and stuff. And I had to learn how to ride a bike. I had to learn that, the skill. And once you learn that, um, you don't forget, do you? All you bike riders out there. Yeah, you, you know how that is. Um, John Erickson was with us last week, Monday through uh, Thursday. And I didn't notice this until Thursday morning. He had gone out for a walk earlier, and he put his shoes on the deck. And we walked out with him before he was leaving. And he, as he put his shoes on, I realized he had, he had like strings, not shoelaces, but strings for shoelaces on his shoes. He's a missionary to Guinea, by the way, for those of you that don't know. And I noticed that his, the bottom of his shoe was worn. But if you know John Erickson, he is contented. 
He is humble, and his passion is serving Christ and modeling his character. And that just hit me. Just, and I thought, man, if I would have seen that earlier, I would have, you know, maybe let's get some shoes somewhere. But for those of the that you know John, John is contented. And <clears throat> that's something that we need to learn. Can I just say this, that the problem, I think, in the church in America today is that Paul is saying, I have learned to be content. But there's too many followers of Christ that are content without growing spiritually. They are content with a stony heart. They are content with just showing up, you know, in church. Nothing happens and leave. No, there's no change. There's no, there's no relationship with Jesus Christ, the vibrant relationship with Christ. Nothing's going on. And they're content. That's a dangerous place to be, friend. Kerry Newhoff, in um, so many church leaders struggle with their faith, and here's where it starts. And you've heard, I, I'm reading this because it, it identi- I identify with it, and we all do. There's a, many, there's a secret many leaders won't readily tell you. One of the most difficult aspects of Christian leadership is keeping your relationship with God fresh and alive. I suppose that one of the reasons so many pastors burn out It's amazing to me that a frequent casualty of Christian leadership is a leader's personal walk with God. The question today is, how exactly does that happen? And here's how it starts, at least for me. Drifting away from the God who loves you happens innocently enough. You start out in ministry with enthusiasm and passion. You get burned by a few people, challenges of leadership, and your heart grows a little hard. You end up cheating your personal devotions by reading the passage you're working on for Sunday or not reading much scripture at all. You find yourself singing words that used to mean something and preaching words that once sounded more personal and alive than they currently do. You still believe in your head, but you've lost your heart. There are many components to staying healthy spiritually over the long term. You need to cultivate an interior life that is greater than your exterior life. But here's what I find. The more I engage the scriptures, the more I engage God. When I read the Bible personally, I grow closer to God. When I skip or skim, I don't. So find your best time with God and grow. And find the medium that's best for you. You version, whatever translation. And then he says, use a Bible reading plan. Random reading can get you started, but it often keeps you It doesn't keep you going. Like many others, I use a Bible reading plan. Nothing has kept me more engaged with God daily than that. It's about 15 minutes of reading a day. But for me, there's nothing better. I love it because I simply look for the daily readings, which are all laid out for me. Whatever you do, keep your your relationship with your Savior fresh and alive is critical. After all, if your relationship with God dies, you lose your passion and your joy. For sure, the issue is far more complex than just reading Scripture. But for me, the closer I am to God's Word, the closer I am to God. 
I read yesterday, Luke 6, and this is what jumped out at me. Verse 27, Jesus speaking. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. What, what hit me was Jesus was saying, even though you've been created by God, and God is sustaining your life. He is allowing you to be willing to listen or not to him. And you could read through the rest of that text to see the benefits of listening to the Lord. But that's all part of living to learn. We, we learn to be willing to listen to God. And this morning, friend, I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, in your walk of life, maybe you came in, I don't want to be here. I don't want anything to do with God. Maybe your eyes have been opened to say, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. You paid for my sin debt in full. I believe you did that. You took my place. And today, Jesus, I'm putting all my trust in you. And thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you that you're becoming number one in my life today. And I'm going to live for you the rest of my life through the power of your spirit. That's the best decision you can make. Maybe you've let your relationship drift with the Lord. Today's a good day to commit fresh, a new start with God. Live to learn. Keep learning in your walk with the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithful love to us. I pray for each person watching in in this auditorium, Lord, if they put their trust in you today, saying yes to Jesus. I pray, Lord, for your grace to be poured into them. And those who are watching, those in this room, if we've allowed our relationship with you to become a ritual, mechanical, Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to get back into your word consistently. Help us to show up at church consistently. Help us, Lord, to allow your spirit to encourage us to say yes to you. And we thank you for that. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.